This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. The International Labor Organization estimates that there are over 40 million victims of human trafficking around the world, with hundreds of thousands here in the U.S. Today, we'll learn some of the warning signs of human trafficking and the steps nurses can take to safeguard patients. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy. And I'm Ryan Larson. Together, we will explore nursing careers and professional insights. With exclusive interviews for nurses working jobs that you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Today, our first guest is Tyler Schwab, Senior Aftercare County Manager Specialist at Operation Underground Railroad. He'll tell us about the warning signs of human trafficking and how nurses can protect their patients. We'll also hear from the Anti-Human Trafficking Club at BYU about how students can get involved. After that, Casey Matheson and Jen Wagenar from HCA Healthcare explain how nursing students can get reimbursed for their education. Let's get started. Well, our next guest today is Tyler Schwab. He is currently working as a nonprofit organization that helps nurses and healthcare professionals uh, identify warning signs of human trafficking, and he tries to help um, combat that, and he works with uh, Operation Underground Railroad. So, Tyler, welcome to our show. We're so happy to have you. Perhaps the best place that we can start, I, I noticed on a LinkedIn profile that you your first job was you worked at Intermountain Healthcare just across the street from the BYU College of Nursing and and you're doing Spanish translation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so when I um I served in LDS Mission, I served in the Dominican Republic. And so like when you're a college kid and and you're just not that skilled um and you come back and you're looking for a job to help put your put yourself through school. Um, luckily, one of the things that I took away from my mission was was, was uh, learning Spanish. And um, you know, here in Utah, there's a there's a large population of of people from Latin America who um, also need access to medical care. And and so, an interpreter, I was I was lucky enough to get a job interview with Intermountain Healthcare, and they put me through some various trainings on how to become a certified uh, bilingual interpreter. Because when you learn Spanish, obviously, like those of that have served missions. Um, in Latin America, know that the Spanish that you bring back isn't necessarily a medical Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so they were, uh, I was looking at that they put me through a training and I was able to interpret for many of those of uh, those people from Latin America to help them gain access to medical care. And, and it helped me in my career. Um, it helped me learn just a lot more Spanish. It helped me learn what it looks like for anyone to get medical care in the United States. And, and it just let me, let me, it showed me how... Uh, how lucky we are to live in this area as well. We have access to a place like Intermountain Healthcare that offers such comprehensive medical resources to the people living in the Wasatch Front. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your career. It's my understanding now that you work with uh, Operation Underground Railroad. Is that correct? It is, my man. Yeah. So my career now, I'm the director of aftercare for Latin America uh, for Operation Underground Railroad. And so basically in a nutshell, like what my job is, is anytime our operations team performs any kind of intervention or any kind of rescue anywhere from Mexico down to Argentina, it's my job to ensure uh, one, of the th- one of these three things happen in summary. Um, one, when a survivor of trafficking is identified, 
that we won if they've been kidnapped from their family or have been transported away from their host country, that we help get them back to their family or help them get back to their country of origin. Two, um, if their family is kind of non-existent or their family was part of the problem in the first place, it is helping them get uh, into a place of safety, such as like an aftercare home. Um, so working in aftercare is, it's almost like um, working your way up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And one of the very basic needs that people have is safety. And it's hard to gauge, it's hard to gauge what people really need until they feel safe. And so helping them get to a place of safety is, is what we'd like to do. And three, helping identify some of those deeper needs. Like once you get a survivor into a place of safety, um, if they want to go to college, if, they, if they're wanting to um, work on their mental health, if they're wanting to go into some kind of job training, um, have their tattoos removed, have any kind of mental health therapy, um, have their um, exploitative material that was been posted on the internet removed, um, helping get to those root of those problems. And, and we can't find those out until they're in a place of safety. And, and so my job is basically to work through those three steps of a survivor's healing process um, anywhere and everywhere in Latin America where the, the organization works. Well, do you have to do a lot of remote work then? I mean, it sounds like you have a, a very large geographic scope of different types of um, post-care patients that you're working with. Uh, how do you usually interact with these people? Uh, I do. Yeah, I work remote a lot. I work a lot through WhatsApp, um, keeping track of a lot of these survivors across Latin America. And I'm also on the road pretty constantly. Um, my job requires me to travel um, usually around 10 days a month. And so I definitely, um, I am blessed to get to see a lot of the world and get to interact with a lot of these wonderful survivors all over Latin America. Um, and that's really important to me to do that, just to maintain the the interpersonal relationship between myself and these survivors. Um, and so my job does entail a lot of remote work and a lot of travel as well. Yeah, I imagine so. Well, and it sounds like, so your focus is a lot on the aftercare um, uh, process, meaning someone's been identified, they've been through uh, some type of treatment options to get them out of uh, dangerous situations and to um, to give them the help they need from human trafficking. So this might, this next question might be a little bit outside of your scope, but how do people go about identifying these individuals who might be victims of human trafficking? You know, that's a good question. Um, you know, part of that is, um, a lot of that is, is the job of law enforcement. And so there's specific units across the world that are paid to investigate those type of crimes, whether to go on the dark web to go on the regular web or to hit the streets looking for victims of human trafficking. Um, a lot of that is where our ops team kind of helps with that to identify um, uh, trafficking victims who are being exploited exclusively to foreign citizens. Um, so our, our operations team can help with that as, as many of them are um, foreign citizens in the countries that we work in. And so it's easier for us to find these traffickers. But there's also like just the eyes and ears of, of the community, you know, like just I think here in Salt Lake, a lot of the tips come from just regular citizens that see things that maybe aren't right. And they um, and they report that to law enforcement. And I would say here in Salt Lake, you know, I, our law, law enforcement system isn't perfect. But for the most part, we here in Utah, really, I think we enjoy a very robust and a very uh, motivated law enforcement um agencies that are here working on these types of cases um pretty often and then just like even going back to like the medical um question that you were asking me earlier is a lot of the tips around the united states specifically 
get to law enforcement through um, uh, medical medical employees, those who provide those medical supports in hospitals, employees for hospital systems, because they're the ones that are on the front lines treating some of these uh, victims where a victim will show up with their pimp bruised and beaten and needing medical care. And it's, it's a nurse or it's a practitioner that notices something isn't right and reports that to law enforcement or has really good connections with like a victim advocate in a police department or has a really strong connection to an NGO where an intervention is able to happen um, because so I think, I think there's a study that came out a couple of years ago by this organization called shared hope international, where um, they interviewed a certain number of, of survivors of human trafficking about 92% of them said that they had seen some kind of medical professional during their time of being exploited, which is wow. just a huge, a huge number of people that are being seen by, medical professionals and so so much of that responsibility relies on medical professionals to be trained and knowledgeable to what to look for when it comes to a uh, a victim of human trafficking to be able to be the link between that victim and their uh, eventual hope to freedom maybe you can help our nurses kind of get a picture of what this type of situation might look like. A patient comes into, I don't know, the ER or something like that. What are some of like the warning signs they should be looking for that maybe just make them a little more aware that, that maybe there's potentially some human trafficking involved with this patient? Well, the, these, these trafficking victims will usually not carry ID with them. Um, they'll usually be accompanied by a much older individual. Um, this older individual could be identified as their boyfriend or their uncle um we see that a lot where um a pimp who's maybe 34 35 years old will take a girl who's 14 15 years old to the er and and he will say he is her boyfriend and even though that's suspicious right away because she's 15 he's 34 um because of the state of just where kind of medical emergency is happening very rarely do those get like put together and, and those red flags get drawn, mm-hmm. but that's always uh, a good indicator on just what kind of exploitation you could be experiencing is if the medical staff can ask what type of relationship is happening between um, the pimp um, and the victim. Cause very rarely will a pimp allow a victim to go to the hospital on their own. Um, usually uh, these victims will carry a large amount of cash um, on hand, which is another warning sign, especially like more and more in this world that we live in, but trafficking victims, they, they don't work that way. They are, um, they will have cash on hand. And so if you have a underage girl who has a lot of cash on hand, that's another uh, big warning sign. Um, STDs, obviously a lot of these survivors will have a lot of STDs, untreated illnesses, um, some of the girls here in Salt Lake that I've had experiences with, they've gone to like the four street clinic or have gone to the U um, they'll have a lot of untreated wounds, uh, which is another sign of exploitation um, that a wound gets to the point where they need treatment and you see other injuries or other scarring or other open wounds that haven't received treatment yet. And, and there's all sorts of amazing training that like people can take um, online to, if they're medical professionals and they want to, learn the signs a little bit more of what to look for, like an emergency room setting, for example. There's an amazing podcast called the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast put on by Vanguard University, 
where they actually bring on a couple of different nurses and they kind of go through the warning signs of what a trafficking victim in an ER setting might look like and then give different resources on who to call or what to do if you encounter this type of situation. Wow. That's that's really thorough, Tyler. And there's a lot, a lot to that. But I think you're right. This is something that you don't just hear about on a 10-minute podcast and become an expert on. It really takes a lifelong of experience and interacting with these individuals to kind of develop a awareness of, of maybe something's not quite adding up here and things aren't quite right. And you were alluding to this a little bit as far as what happens next. So if if maybe one of our nurses, you know, they're in a clinic and they're in a hospital and or, you know, ED or something like that, and they're they're noticing some of these red flags that you're mentioning, um, what does the next step generally look like? And I'm sure that differs from institution to institution and what the scope of care is and things like that. But generally speaking, I mean, how do you proceed when you can just tell something's off? Yeah. And you know, that's a good point. I think it's, um, I think it's important for, I think from my experience and obviously my experience in working in healthcare is very limited to just an interpretation setting, but just in my very limited experience of working two years with Intermountain Healthcare as an interpreter, it was very important that the ER staff have a good relationship with law enforcement for a couple of different reasons. I saw that when I was working there and I wasn't quite as aware of human trafficking then as I am now. Even then, I noticed on just the type of situations that an ER staff has to deal with, that they should have a very strong rapport with law enforcement. And so, like, if an ER staff is interested in in, in learning how to take more action, I would suggest that someone from the ER staff get in touch with um, the person for whatever state you're in, local human trafficking task force. And so for Utah, that would be with the attorney general's office uh, down in Murray. So um, there are different people at that office that are um, used as trainers. There's a couple of people um, designated there as law enforcement investigators. And there's a couple of different people there um, as uh, aftercare professionals. I would encourage whatever ER department is looking or whatever medical department is looking for more training or of or a quicker access to law enforcement to get in touch with the AG's office, either someone with their investigative unit or their aftercare unit so that they have someone that they can reach out to when they come across this situation. Because you, 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 if that situation comes across, they should always go through law enforcement. Um, they should always go through the proper proper channels, call 911 and get uh, access to some sort of law enforcement official. But if they have a rapport with someone from the AG's office, specifically someone that works in the investigative sphere or the aftercare sphere, I would say they have more access to a to a faster intervention and quicker access to resources for that survivor. But here in Utah, that's who I would go through is the AG's office and specifically their investigative unit and their aftercare unit. Hmm. Interesting. So a lot of it sounds like that's a lot of like institutional kind of relationships that have to be built. But what about like on an individual level? Like what's something that you think from your perspective a nurse could do to just make sure that that relationship either exists or maybe could be improved or um, like what's a nurse's role in that process of making sure there's a good relationship in terms of identifying uh, the human trafficking victims? I think building relationships is always just so complicated. You know, I have to put forward your best self and offer a bit of yourself each time you interact with these people and just hope it's reciprocated. Um, 
I would say that's the best a nurse could do um, if they're wanting to build a solid relationship with um, law enforcement. But a nurse as well, like a nurse brings so many different skills to the table as well. Like I know a lot of nurses that volunteer pro bono at some of the victim services agencies across the state. And if that's something that a nurse is looking to do as well is, is offer pro bono services to different agencies, I think that's something they could do for one, they could gain more experience working with survivors of trafficking, which also includes like becoming more aware of the warning signs Two, you get more and more embedded in that community. And I think the, especially like in our community of the community, community of anti-human trafficking, so many times we're, we speaking for myself, we're often very um, distrustful of others and very closed off because we have to be, but the way you don't end up being that way is you start seeing similar faces over and over and over again. And so if a nurse is popping up at like the human trafficking conference at the University of Utah at the end of the month, or it pops up at like a volunteer event at, 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 a, at a fundraiser for Operation Underground Railroad and at the human trafficking, um, the task force meeting up in Murray once a month, if they start seeing those same faces over and over and over again, and it's a nurse, then law enforcement will start to start to build that trust in that nurse. That nurse may even be invited on different operational opportunities for different law enforcement agencies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's going to take an effort on the nurse to the nurses, the medical staff of getting their foot kind of in the door and showing that they have no ulterior motive other than to help the survivor. And I think um, there's ways to do that, but I think it, probably will take some time. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure that human trafficking and you might know better than anyone is, um, is a problem that is super complicated and it's going to take a long time to resolve or, um, get to a point where we can say we've kind of passed that as a society or, I mean, what do you think the future of, of that looks like? What do you think the future of this problem looks like? How do we, what's the next step you think? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I think there's some great advances across the world that are happening. I think there's some amazing things that are happening for those that are currently um, in a situation of trafficking and exploitation. I think um, there's some good things happening on the legislative side, the prevention side. I think even last year um, we saw, I mean, the biggest trafficker in the world for a long time was were some of these porn companies, companies like Xvideos, companies like Pornhub. And for the first time in 20 years, these porn companies are being held accountable for hosting some of these exploitive videos, these rape videos, these child rape videos. And that, that's a good sign. I think that that was maybe unheard of that those companies would be held accountable five years ago. But the scope is so big. I mean, there's 2 million children trapped in this. There's, um, there's 40 million people in modern day slavery across the world. I think the problem is um, is so big and we need more people to get involved to really make an impact. And I'm so glad that there's people that like, like the nursing program at BYU that's looking to have their medical staff get more involved and notice how to um, intervene on behalf of those that are being exploited. And I think, I, I know that there's a, there's something that we talk a lot about um, Operation Underground Railroad here we had a situation where we worked for two years um, working to put this American pedophile behind bars who was trafficking seven girls in South America. And the second he got behind bars, that's the very same day we got referred to another case 
of another American pedophile in the same city who was exploiting 10 girls that were younger than the girls that the first guy was exploiting. And so sometimes it kind of feels like, like um, the, the Greek monster Hydra, where you cut off one of its heads and two more takes its place. But we know you are take a lot of heart from the story about the starfish on the beach where this guy comes across this beach and it's just full of starfish. And if you don't throw them all back, they're going to die. And so he starts throwing them back one by one. Somebody comes by and says, hey, why are you doing that? You're wasting your time. All these starfish are going to die anyway. It won't make much of a difference. And, and the, the boy picks up a starfish, throws it into the ocean. He's like, it, it made a difference to this one. It made a difference to that one. It'll make a difference for everyone I'm able to save. And that's the outlook that we look at it, where we might not be able to end the problem altogether, but we are um, saving the lives and making a difference for those that we are able to save. I do want to ask you a little bit more about what the healing process might look like. Um, when you're caring for these patients, I mean, there's a lot of emotional and social baggage that, that comes along with whatever physical ailment that they're coming into the hospital for. What do you think nurses should do to not only help the physical ailments that they suffer from, but even just the social and moral ones that they're going to be dealing with? You know, it's a, it's a really good question. From a nurse's aspect, I would say two things come to mind as ways that I think nurses can help build rapport with trafficking victims and also help just a little bit in their emotional um, healing as well. And the first one is to offer help without wanting to receive anything in return. Um, and so that may, that may sound a little bit weird, but um, so in the life of a trafficking victim, everything has a cost. If you want to eat, there's a cost. If you want to sleep, there's a cost. If you want a gift, there's a cost. And so their whole life is transactional. Anything that they want is a good thing. They're expected to offer something sexually in return. And unfortunately, that can translate when they, after they're rescued and in the hands of law enforcement as well, where they're not expected to perform sexually, but they're expected to um, give information. So a cop can say, we can offer you aftercare if you'll um, talk to the district attorney and report your trafficker, which can all sound like a good thing. But in the, traffic, in the, in the trafficking victim's mind, it's another thing that's transactional. And so when a nurse, when they're offering care, um, I think that's something that they should, they should really emphasize to the trafficking victim is that everything that they are offering is quote unquote for free and they're not expecting anything in return. They're not expecting a thank you. They're not expecting any kind of information against their trafficker that the care that they're offering is totally for free out of the goodness of their heart because that that concept is so foreign to a trafficking victim that it can go a long way for them when they eventually go before a judge or go before the police to know that there are certain things that are given out of the goodness of their heart and not for any kind of information or any kind of exchange of, of, of any kind, because that concept is just so foreign to a trafficking victim. So I would say that's the first thing. And the second thing is just a, a judgment-free zone. Um, trafficking victims are very used to being judged, not just on their appearance, but um, on a whole range of things. And so when a trafficking victim comes into an ER and there's a lot of open wounds and there may be a quite a number of, of sexually transmitted diseases 
and they come in with um, even maybe an attitude of of just ungratefulness, um, or come in and they're they're uh, they're in withdrawals from any kind of addiction. To have the the nursing staff, the medical staff, come at them from just a place of pure compassion, it will go a long way in their overall healing as well. Because they're so used to being judged on every single aspect of their life. And if they go in and get access to medical care and that rapport is built with a medical professional that's offering help without anything expected in return and also coming from a place of just pure compassion and love, that will go a long way showing the trafficking victim that there are good people in this world and that not everything in their life is transactional and that there are people that are looking to do good for them just based on the goodness of their heart. As we're wrapping up here, uh, Tyler, I do want to ask you, you've mentioned, um, you obviously know the Utah community pretty well, and you're familiar with all of these topics. If one of our nurses would like to get involved, you mentioned even, you know, volunteering, pro bono services and things like that. Do you have any recommendations on ways that maybe students can get involved beyond just, um, you know, being aware of this type of problem? But if there's a student who wants to just take things head on, is there a, a, an organization that you think that a student should consider volunteering or partnering with? Yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of good organizations here in Salt Lake. I think just, you know, obviously someone who's not from Salt Lake City, I've noticed that like moving here to Salt Lake City, that people are very passionate about what their thing is. Um, I went to college with the guy that started uh, Crumble Cookies and that dude was so pumped about cookies, you know, and like I didn't get it about why he was so passionate about like this idea and his and his and his and his cookie idea but you know now like five six years later seeing the results of that like that was his thing he was passionate about it and now he's created something amazing and beautiful from it and and that's something that i really enjoy about living in utah is just seeing how people are so passionate about whatever their thing is and um i think because of that there's a lot of good anti-trafficking organizations that have come out that do give a lot of um opportunities to be involved and to get involved in and and um you know one organization that i would recommend is the utah victims clinic um in salt lake um they're personally my favorite nonprofit in utah they offer free legal services to a number of victims of crime here in the city and here in the state as well and so they work a lot with stalking victims human trafficking victims rape victims Homicide victims, um, I think they're a great organization for people to get involved with uh, in some capacity. Um, I, I think a, um, a Google search as well, like that will we'll come across a lot of great organizations here in Utah. The BYU Anti-Trafficking Club, I know that they um, are quite involved in who is offering victim services uh, here in the state as well. Any kind of connection that people could have with like the Attorney General's office, the District Attorney's office the FBI's office, like those three agencies here in Salt Lake are constantly serving victims of human trafficking and can uh, offer any kind of support. Um, there's a number of different um, home for minors down in Salt Lake that's connected to the attorney general's office that they can gather supplies for as well. Probably for students at BYU, at BYU Provo, the, the best way to get involved with organizations on the ground is going to the BYU uh, Human Trafficking Club. I think 
because of how they're made and how they're connected. Um, they have access to a ton of organizations here in Salt Lake that offer victim services to survivors here in Salt Lake and then offer different opportunities to serve survivors uh, internationally as well. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing insights with us. Um, it's really great to hear that there's good people like you who are working with these um, victims in meaningful ways and trying to make a real difference in the world. really appreciate that. And I really hope our, our nurses here can kind of take some of the things that, that you're talking about and being aware of and, and apply them in their own clinical worlds and their own, um, and, and yeah, in their own lives. That way they can help make the world a better place as well. Well, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the opportunity for you uh, giving us the opportunity to share about what we're doing and and how we can help and collaborate and support. And I think the best way to really make a dent in this is if everybody works together, public, private, nonprofit, for-profit, university, professionals, just everybody coming together, um, good good people coming together. I think that's the best way to really just tackle this problem in the, in the best way possible. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Tyler, thank you so much. Have a good one. Yeah, you too, my man. Thank you. Because Tyler mentioned the BYU Anti-Human Trafficking Club, we invited Tanner West, social media manager for the club, in studio to talk about the club. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I want to start off by asking, why is it so important that we have an anti-human trafficking club here at BYU? Well, it's important everywhere to have an anti-human trafficking club because human trafficking is a real and horrible and hard to find issue that even in Provo, Utah can exist. Um, and it's especially important here at BYU because there's so many passionate people and so many good-hearted people who want to make changes in the world. And by highlighting something that's really dark and bringing light to it, it is wonderful to just have people know about this, especially our frontline healthcare workers who are very likely to come in contact with those in human trafficking, whether it be sex trafficking, or labor trafficking, or whatever form of exploitation it is. Is it really common for, um, say, someone who is rescued from trafficking to have stories of going to a clinic and not being noticed as someone who needed help? Actually, yes. There was a study done a couple years ago um, that found that 88% of those who were in, I believe it was sex trafficking, 88% of those had been to a clinic or had otherwise worked with healthcare professionals. And most, most were not noticed at all. Um, for instance, I've got a story. So Jasmine was a 19-year-old college student in Boston. And she met this guy. They started dating. And he started manipulating her really badly. And he ended up manipulating her into sex trafficking. And for over four years, um, she worked as a prostitute. And she continually came into this same clinic to be checked for STDs. And she would continually come in with bumps and bruises, not the same ones, but consistently new and different ones. And she also struggled with addictions and had these migraines, which came from a head injury, which she got somewhere down the road. And with all these red flags, the informed nurse or doctor or other healthcare individuals would have seen what was going on, would have at least been willing to ask questions. But the healthcare individuals she came in contact with didn't because they did not know about human trafficking. It wasn't on their radar. And even though they cared so much for their patients, just like our nurses here at BYU care so much to help others, this was not on their radar and they couldn't help her. And she 
stayed in sex trafficking for years longer than she should have had the individuals she come in contact with known what was going on and known to see those red flags and see that there were probable issues, if not sex trafficking, then some form of violence. Can you explain a little bit about what the organization does, what your club does, and maybe what organizations you partner with and what kind of events you have, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So we have two goals as a club. Number one is to spread correct awareness of the issues of human trafficking, whether it be sex trafficking or labor trafficking, to as many people as we can. And our second goal is for those who are really interested, we connect them with organizations who are making real changes and doing incredible things to help survivors recover, as well as help prevent these things from happening. Um, a couple of my favorite ones in this area, there's one really close to us that helps survivors of sex trafficking, help them recover. It's called Dahlia's Hope. They've been wonderful to us, as well as we have lots of other nonprofits like Exodus um, is one that I really love in Salt Lake, who do great things to really understand what is the problem at hand and how can we help. So spreading that awareness and then helping people who are really interested get involved in the community, even here in Provo, Utah. If a student wants to get involved with the club and even just volunteering for some of these organizations, what's a way they can start doing that? So number one, you need to hop on your Instagram and go to at BYUAHTC or just type in BYU and a human trafficking club and follow us. Um, and from there, you'll see all the meetings when we have those and then just start coming to meetings. You can message us as well. We'll tell you, talk to you all about it, help get you in contact with some fantastic people and really just help you from there. Um, thank you so much, Tanner, for coming on our show and, and helping educate our listeners about this. Thank you so much for having me. Did you know episodes of The College Handoff are summarized each week? You can revisit old favorites or catch up on segments you missed. You can find these written summaries by visiting our blog at byunursing.com. Look for titles starting with In Case You Missed It. Our next guests today are Casey and Jen. They both work for HCA Healthcare. It's a healthcare company that um, covers lots of hospitals in the Utah area and surrounding Mountain West region. And we're here to talk to them today a little bit about new programs that HCA is starting to help students, uh, nursing students, get reimbursed for tuition and uh, get student loan assistance um, for getting their nursing degrees. Both of you guys, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you. Well, maybe we can start with, with you, Casey, first. Can you tell us what your role is in HCA and how your role kind of relates to nursing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been with HCA for four and a half years. Um, I do all of our new grad nurse recruiting. So anytime you're looking for a job with HCA in Utah, Idaho, or Alaska with us, um, you would connect with me. Um, we have 185 hospitals around the country. So there's Wow. Lots of different people that do what I do if you're looking for different places to work around the U.S. And we also have a cluster of hospitals in the U.K. So that is me. Wow. That's, that sounds like a fun job. And you have lots of uh, a, a, a broad, <laughs> a broad reach, reach of opportunities, it sounds like, for lots of people. Yes, absolutely. For sure. It's a great job and I love it. I always kind of consider myself a matchmaker, trying to find the perfect match <laughs> for um, a new grad nurse and our nurse managers. And yeah, it's a great job. So. Yeah, well, that's great. 
And then, Jen, why don't we ask you the same question? What's your role with HCA and, and how, do, how does your role relate to nurses? So I've been with HCA Healthcare for the last eight years, and I am an ICU nurse by background and mm. now have the opportunity to advocate for and uh, help kind of career plan and progression plan for nurses across our Idaho, Utah, and Alaska hospitals. Uh, there are 15 of me across HCA Healthcare. And uh, I work closely with my colleagues to place people like Casey does all over the country in various roles and help them understand how they can take their career in nursing from whatever their first bedside role is to whatever their dreams are. Wow, that's awesome. Well, guys, we we brought you both on to talk a little bit about um, one of HCA's new programs to help uh, reimburse nursing students uh, for the tuition that they've had to pay to get their nursing degrees um, and even just to help students take out uh, you know, student loans that can help also pay for that type of education. Casey, why don't we start with you a little bit? What what was the motivation behind um, starting up these programs? Why do you think these types of programs are important to nurses? You know, I think one thing that I've loved about HCA and working with HCA is I feel like our organization is incredibly nursing forward. And when we kind of look at benefits packages and figure out like, what do we need to do to attract the best and the brightest? And to really make sure we're taking care of our people. Um, an uh, employee value proposition HCA is care like family. And I think that's definitely kind of one thing that really resonates with me. And I feel like this program um, for student loan assistance is really caring like family and realizing that I think, you know, honestly, higher education in general is just incredibly expensive. So much more than it was like decades ago when I was finishing college. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling how much tuition and fees and everything is just really kind of astronomically gone up from there. So I think I'm kind of in accordance with that um, employee value proposition, you know, really caring in like family, what can we do to kind of alleviate some of that burden? So I really think that's kind of how our loan assistance programs and our tuition reimbursement really kind of came to fruition. So um, kind of the mechanics behind the program, um, our loan assistance is designed for um, employees. Um, that do have any kind of outstanding student loans that need help uh, potentially helping to pay those off. And so um, as a full-time employee, um, you'd qualify for up to $100 a month. So it's really easy to set up and um, you can set that up as an employee. We pay those that $100 a month directly to your servicer. So that's just kind of like a one-time setup and you don't have to like think about it and we just pay that directly off. And so hopefully that's a little bit of a cushion and, um, you know, something that is a little bit of a stress reliever. But if you are interested in taking advantage of tuition reimbursement, you can work for us while you're in nursing school or in your program. And we do offer $5,250 a year in tuition reimbursement. Mm. So if you would like to pair working um, and going to school at the same time, we definitely have options for you to help out with your tuition while you're doing that. So... Now, if I'm an undergrad student and I'm, you know, currently thinking about what am I going to do in the next couple of years and you know, I'm going to graduate, I'll have a uh, basic undergrad nursing degree, um, you know, and I want to join, you know, this is a great plus. Maybe it maybe kind of helps sway my decision on where I want to go. Um, what type of hospitals are associated with HCA and would help you qualify to be a part of these programs? You can be a part of any one of our programs uh, in any one of our hospitals across HCA Healthcare. 
we have any variety of nursing programs that you can get started in. Uh, when you come out of school, you can start as a med surge nurse, a behavioral health nurse, a trauma nurse, an ER nurse. There are just uh, any number of things that help us bridge that gap and take you from what you've been learning in school, the didactic learning that you've done, the hands-on learning that you've done as a student, and translate that to a novice nurse and continue to help you grow from there. Uh, there's, there are really endless possibilities when you come into HCA. It's really one company and any or many careers. Um, now, I want to ask you a little bit more about some of the nuts and bolts a little bit. What specifically qualifies a you know, grad student, uh, someone who's graduating with some student loans? Uh, what are the things that, that students should be aware of that would qualify them for these types of benefits? Yeah, so as far as being able to qualify, it's actually pretty broad. So you do have to work part-time or full-time for us. Um, if you're working part-time, that's kind of a prorated amount that we pay back for loan assistance. Um, most of our new grads will come working for us full-time. And again, that's at that full benefit of $100 a month. So it's really just working full-time or part-time for us to qualify for that benefit. Um, the great thing right now about our loan assistance program is most likely a lot of our new grads are utilizing that to repay back um, nursing school loans. But if you do have any other type of loan, um, right now we're not kind of limiting it down to just nursing. So if you were lucky enough not to kind of incur any nursing school debt, that's great. But if you have like a different like undergrad degree or something like that, um, you could utilize those funds to help pay for that. That's awesome. That's great. Do you guys interact with our with maybe any students that are doing clinicals or like is there a, a pipeline from people that are in a specific hospital, maybe an HCA hospital, and they're doing clinicals and that, maybe that translates into a work type opportunity? Yeah, that's a, that's a really yeah, that's a really good call out. So uh, HCA um, uh, Mountain Division in Utah has a really unique opportunity for students that attend BYU. And that opportunity is in the form of the Capstone and Nurse Apprentice Combined Program. We've worked closely with the faculty at BYU to be able to combine those so that if you intend to come and work for Mountain Star and start your career with Mountain Star, you can move into the Nurse Apprentice role when you qualify for it through state licensure and do your Capstone at an HCA Mountain Star Hospital while you're a Nurse Apprentice employed by us. So essentially, you're doing your capstone hours and getting credit for those hours while we're paying you as one of our colleagues and you're getting started uh, working with HCA. So it's a dual program and you get the hours as an employee and you also get the credit as a capstone student. And we do that, again, for those students who are interested in, in then coming on with us as a full-time nurse post-graduation. So you just roll right over from your nurse apprentice straight into your nursing position which also provides that continuity, gets your benefits started sooner and the like. So I think that's a really unique opportunity that we offer to our college partners uh, in the state of Utah and have an agreement with BYU for. Wow, that's awesome. That's really fantastic. And so just to be clear, so the way that would work is that you have a student doing their capstone project at an HCA hospital, and then they would be contractually obligated to uh, work for that hospital in a specific field, a specific way after their capstone, after they graduated with their BSN, and then they could um, start automatically qualifying for all those benefits. Is that right? That's right. As soon as you come work for us for a nurse apprentice, you begin to qualify for those benefits, and it rolls right over when you become a nurse at one of our HCA hospitals.
Well, I guess you guys have answered most of my questions that I have. I think, you know, Casey, you are a nursing recruiter. And so I, I imagine that our students as they're listening to this, if they had questions, maybe more specific details about their specific situation, is there a way they could maybe reach out to you if they're interested in trying to find a job within HCA or, or how does that process usually look? Yes, absolutely. Um, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Casey, C-A-S-E-Y. Matheson, M-A-T-H-E-S-O-N. So if you want to connect with me through LinkedIn, that's great. Um, you can also email me. Um, it's just casey.matheson at hchealthcare.com. Or you can text me. It's 801-520-8904. And anyone is welcome to call or text me if they do have questions at any stage of their nursing career or even if they're considering going to nursing school. Um, we'd love to talk to you. Um, one thing that I was hoping we could talk about is we actually own um, uh, Galen College of Nursing, and there's like some really cool programs, I think, especially for your BSN grads that we can kind of talk about mm -hmm. that they can take advantage of. To I mean, and I think, Jen, when I kind of looked at the like literature, I think they can like almost get their MSN almost like paid for. Wow. Can we like talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's actually kind of a cool feature that we offer that I don't, I, I know none of our competitors offer. So yeah, no, of course, definitely. I mean, yeah, getting an MSN degree is not cheap. And the fact that you're offering that for practically free is, is very intriguing. So yeah, tell us more about that. I think it's a really exciting opportunity uh, to have the partnership with Galen College of Nursing and HCA Healthcare. And one of the things that Casey mentioned that we provide is the Master's of Science in Nursing track. And once you have your bachelor's degree and you're working with us, it's a 36 semester credit. You can do it as quickly as six semesters uh, or less than that if you if you want to do it a little bit more expedited. Um, they enroll people three times a year, so there's a lot of flexibility if you want to mm -hmm. graduate and then get your feet under you or you want to go straight into the program in working for us. And we help and pay those fees on the front end so that you can continue to um, grow your nursing degree in your career without having that front end expenditure to move from your bachelor's of nursing into your master's program. Wow, that's awesome. And then so just to be a little more specific, though, it sounds like um, you can work while you're doing this or is it mostly recommended that you, you know, you actually just fo focus on getting the master's degree and then come back and work later? What's kind of the, the balancing act there? You can absolutely work uh, during your master's of science in nursing. Galen College is adept and well-rounded in helping adult learners and people who have multiple priorities balance. It's one of their specialty areas. And so they can help you custom build your curriculum to fit your life, whether you want to work full-time, part-time, uh, whatever that looks like. Uh, being a colleague of HCA has a lot of benefits when going through uh the Galen College to get your master's degree. So we would really encourage you as you come out of your bachelor's to determine whether or not you're ready for that or at what juncture you think you would be. And then we can get you connected and help you think about and custom build that curriculum to support whatever your lifestyle is. Wow. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, I'm not super familiar with, with Galen's College of Nursing, but is that something where there's like a physical campus that they need to go to? Or is it something that people can do remotely? It's absolutely done remotely. Um, Galen College offers almost every program that they do uh, beyond their associate's degree in a fully virtual environment. Well, thank you guys both so much for taking time out of your busy work lives to talk to us a little bit and share with uh, all of our nursing students uh, some of the great things that HCA is doing to help further the careers of nurses around the country. Really appreciate that. Hey, thanks so much for your time today.
It's so great that there's these resources for students and even alumni to pay off student loans and pay off their tuition. Yeah, it is a really cool way of supporting nursing graduates. It's also worth mentioning that students who do their capstone project with an HCA-sponsored hospital, they have the option to get a job offer right after completing their capstone project. That's awesome. I also really enjoyed your conversation with Tyler. I didn't know that there were so many warning signs of human trafficking that nurses could be looking out for, and I'm sure that's great information for them to have. Yeah, no, it was a super eye-opening interview. I also loved uh, his endorsement that he gave for BYU's Anti-Human Trafficking Club. I had no idea we even had such a club on campus. Yeah, it's no doubt a really important club for our students to be aware of. They can do a lot of good with it. Well, that's all we have for you guys this week. Don't forget to catch next week's episode, which is sure to be a great one. Listen anywhere you get to your podcast, and don't forget you can download episodes and listen whenever, wherever. See you next week.